Thank you. Please stand for the reading of the word. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit, through David, foretold concerning Judas who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field of the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle of all his bowels gushed, gushed out. This became known to all residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language, Hakodama, this is, field of the blood, for it is written in the book of Psalms. Let his house become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of the overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jennifer. Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So uh, we begin our journey in the accounts of Peter in the book of Acts. Last week we discussed how Jesus reinstated Peter at the Sea of Galilee and equipped him for the work ahead of him in the church. And then uh, Acts 1, not what we read today, but earlier in Acts 1, Luke tells us that Jesus ascends to heaven after 40 days, uh, 40 days after his resurrection, 40 days in his resurrected state. And then our text takes place. He has already promised the disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit will be given to them, but now they wait. And this is the only narrative in scripture that we have of those 10 days between the ascension of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Uh, This is a text that is not very often preached on. It's often overlooked, and I love this passage, Uh, and I think it's way more instructive than we might think at first read. So, uh, 
As we get into this text, let me first share a, a fun development in the Stromberg house over the past couple of months. Uh, we officially have a teenage driver, very exciting stuff uh, in our house. Um, for those of you who have younger kids and you're looking at that kid and you're like, oh, that scares me, that makes me nervous. My kid having a license someday, I don't know how I'm going to feel about my child driving. Let me just say, um, you're wrong to be nervous. It's awesome. It's fantastic uh, to have a teenage driver not having to run chauffeur service every day uh, is fantastic. It's also great because he's so excited to drive that if like we're out of milk or eggs, he's like, I'll go get it. Can I have the car? It's, it's really great. Um, we love it. Uh, but the journey to get that license was a long and arduous one for us. Uh, it took a, a super long time for him to be able to schedule all of his behind-the-wheel lessons because of staffing shortages at uh, the driving school. And so we were several months after his birthday uh, when we finally journeyed to the DMV in December. Um, unfortunately, when we got there, we realized that the driving school had not verified his hours, and it was sitting on someone's desk in Springfield, Illinois, and so we had to go home and wait for a couple weeks until that was verified. And then we went back in January, um, but they wouldn't accept a photocopy of his birth certificate. We had to have an actual copy of the birth certificate, which we had run out of, so we had to go and do the Secretary of State thing and and get his birth certificate. Um, Once we got that, two weeks later... We went and they needed a physical copy of his social security card and we couldn't find that so we had to find a replacement social security card for him. By February, we had been to the DMV four times, um, the Secretary of State two times, uh, the social security office two times, and I had a folder with paperwork that was like any possible paperwork that you could possibly need for somebody. It was like that thick as I'm walking into the DMV. I'm like, okay, we got it all this time. I know we have all the paperwork right. And... uh, I handed them the paperwork all in order, and they informed me that the car that Quinn was going to be doing his test in had an error on the car title, and so he could not take his test in that car. You can imagine what that car ride home was like for us. Um, It was kind of like a dirge. I felt pretty dumb. Quinn felt frustrated uh, with every little bit of red tape that we had to, to move through in this process. And we were challenged with the need for patience and waiting in that particular season. All the qualifications were met. He was ready to be a driver. He's a good driver, but we had to wait just forever. Now, when we finally got his license, we had a pretty awesome little party after all that waiting, and we've had little mini parties every Friday or Saturday night when we don't have to pick him up somewhere at 11 o'clock. It's fantastic. (laughs) So we had a real-life lesson in waiting, the frustration, the helplessness of that kind of season. And I'm guessing you understand that emotion. I'm guessing you know what it means to wait in that way. You've experienced the DMV of life, right? Red tape, frustration, endless waiting. So ready to be out of the current season that you're in and frustrated that it hasn't come to a close yet. I would think that most of you today, even as you're sitting here, no matter how old you are, can identify a situation in your life where you are waiting. And more pointedly, a situation where you are waiting for God to show up. For God to show up. You hear God's promises for you. You receive them. You even believe those promises to be true. But you find yourself waiting. I want to ask this morning, where are you waiting for God to show up? Where are you waiting uniquely for God to show up? I'm just going to give you a few Examples that I know from our congregation in the past few weeks. No names attached. Don't try and guess who it is. Waiting for a clear diagnosis so that treatment can begin. 
waiting for an emotional and spiritual breakthrough for a spouse who has been deeply depressed. Waiting for God to give clarity on a college decision. Waiting for a broken friendship to be restored. Waiting for a new season where you feel more spiritually alive. Waiting for someone to spend your life with that loves God and loves you. Waiting for the anxiety to subside. Waiting for clarity on a job or a career. I could go on, but I hope that you're already in a space this morning where you can recognize what it is that you're waiting for. I think it's important to recognize what it is that you're waiting for, what the in-between space is that you are in right now, because, and I need you to hear this, I firmly believe that God wants to do some of his very best work in your life in your period of waiting. When I look back on my life, the different seasons of my life, the hard times of my life, the places where I was the most pressed, the most confused, the most uncomfortable, those were the times that God was growing me exponentially. That God was doing stuff in my heart that he never could have done in a season of comfort. There is transformation and, rele- and revelation and emancipation that God makes available to us in the in-between times of our lives that are just not available at other times in our lives if we will wait faithfully. If we'll wait faithfully. And I want that for you in the midst of your waiting. Our text today actually shows us the actions of Peter, the apostle, in a time of waiting in those 10 days where they're waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit after Jesus' ascension. And it gives us a sense, too, of what it might mean for us to wait faithfully in the season that we're in. So I will encourage you, if you have your Bibles, keep them open to Acts chapter 1. There are red Bibles around you, too. Bring your Bibles. Uh, It's a great practice to do. But I'd love for you to follow along. We start in verse 12. Verse 12 tells us that the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day journey. What does that mean? Um, well, that's not very far. Jews were only permitted to travel 2,000 cubits away from their home on the Sabbath, which is about three quarters of a mile. Um, otherwise, that would be too much work. And guess what? The precise distance from the Mount of Olives to the gates of the city of Jerusalem is about three quarters of a mile. So that's where they went. And they wait for God in the city as he promised that he would come to them. And the way that they wait instructs us on how to wait as well. So I think that this text lays out four faithful responses to the times of waiting that we find ourselves in, and I want to walk through them with you. First one, faithful practices. First one is while you wait, rehearse your values. Rehearse your values. Verses 13 and 14. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. All these were constantly doing what? Devoting themselves to prayer. Together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. So the disciples, after the ascension of Jesus, they could have scattered, right? They could have chosen to isolate in that season, but they didn't do that. They went straight back to the upper room. This is ostensibly the same upper room where the disciples gathered several weeks earlier for the Last Supper. What did they do? They went back to what they knew. 
to the values that Jesus himself had impressed upon them, and they rehearsed them over and over again. And what are those values? They gathered together and they prayed. They gathered together and they prayed. The text actually tells us there were about 120 people crammed into that upper room. If it's helpful visually for you, if, you were, if we were like shoulder to shoulder in this section, this is about 120 people here, okay? So that's about the size of the gathering. And that number is significant um, because 120 was the size uh, that was required for a Jewish prayer gathering, 120 people. And that's what they were doing. They were there for a prayer gathering. Verse 14 says that they were constantly devoting themselves to prayer. Think about it. What did these disciples do after Jesus ascends into the sky? They went back to what they knew. They went back to what they knew with Jesus. They gathered, they prayed, they rehearsed those values, and they continued to do so. Um, In times for you of uncertainty, of waiting, of being in that in-between space, our tendency, our human tendency, is to isolate and to medicate and to despair. That's our tendency. But the disciples show us a different way. They model for us what it means to go back to the well. That waiting faithfully means to go forward with what we know works and what has worked for Christians for thousands of years. We rehearse the values that Jesus instilled in those initial disciples, which is gathering and praying. Whatever it is that you're waiting for today, you've already done the best thing that you could possibly do to begin a process, which is you gathered here today. Congratulations, you did it. Um, We've also already prayed together today. We are gathering and praying. We're rehearsing those values. Keep doing that. Keep praying in expectation, expectation for Jesus to show up and to make a way. Do not despair. Do not give up. Rehearse those values over and over again. Second faithful practice. While you wait, turn to the Psalms. Turn to the Psalms. Uh, in the midst of this prayer gathering, it says that Peter finds his voice and he speaks up. And what does he do? He recites two Psalms. Before I get into the content of those Psalms, I just want to note the vital role that the Psalms play for the people of God. Um, I would suggest to you that this is part of the way that the disciples manage the chaos and the disappointments and the unknowns of life and following Jesus. They pray through the Psalms. It's what they do. Peter does not cite the Psalms out of nowhere. He's not like, hey, I had a great devotion time this morning individually, and I'd just like to bring that to you. This group of 120 people who had gathered for this prayer gathering in the upper room, they were using the Psalms as a prayer book. They were using the Psalms as a prayer book. Why do they do this? Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously called the Psalter Christ's prayer book. That the Psalms are, quote, the the vicarious prayer of Christ for his church. That Jesus prays through the Psalter to his congregation, end quote. I love that. They would gather together and they would pray through the Psalms because that's how Jesus taught them to pray, was so thankful for the offertory today that we got to sing and pray through such a beautiful psalm. It was also a way for them to hear the voice of Jesus. The psalms pointed them to Christ. They could see Christ's words in the psalms, and the psalms became a way that Jesus continued to speak to them. What they would have done is they would have read the psalms, they would have sung the psalms, they would have prayed through a set of psalms in each of those prayer gatherings. So I think Peter's speaking from the psalms because it came up. In that prayer time, he was responding to something that they were already reading and praying and singing in their time together. The Psalms are absolutely central. Um, I did not expect uh, turning to the Psalms to be one of my four points necessarily from this text. But the more that I think about it, I'm really convinced of its wisdom for us. 
wherever you are and whatever it is that you're waiting for, you should be praying through the Psalms. That's just a good, wise thing to do because what the Psalms also do is they give us words. They validate or refine our emotional language, which is so important to us. One psalm, as you're reading it, might remind us of the promises of God when our hope is failing and we're encouraged, and then we go to the next one and it gives voice to our sadness, our grief, our lament. And then we turn to the next psalm and it helps us connect with the character of God. It tells us something about the character of God, and then we turn to the next psalm and it tells us the depths of the human condition. So pray through the psalms as you wait. You could read a couple psalms a day, always a great practice. You could journal through the Psalms as you walk through all 150 of them. Or something that I've done in the past is rewriting a Psalm in my own words. That can be a great way to do that too. This is what the Psalms are written for. So let me encourage us to lean into them. Third, faithful practice. While you wait, sort through your emotions and begin to heal from your deep wounds. Peter cites two Psalms. Psalm 69, 25 explains that Judas's betrayal of Jesus was not a surprise to God. And then Psalm 109, 8 explains the importance of moving on and choosing a successor for Judas. And as I read these things and I, and I ponder them, I begin to get a sense that this was not a routine prayer meeting. This was not a, just a perfunctory thing that they were doing. There were huge emotions, I think, that were happening in this prayer meeting. Not only were they waiting for Jesus to give them the promised Holy Spirit, I'm sure they had no idea what that was going to look like, but they were sorting through some pretty significant emotions in this prayer meeting. There was a seat at the table that was empty, right? It was the seat that Judas had occupied. Their brother in the faith who had followed Jesus just like them, who had walked with Jesus and and heard his teaching, who had ultimately turned on Jesus, betrayed him, and sold him out for money. The text tells us in graphic detail about Judas' death, where he took his own life in the field of Hakodama, the field of blood outside of the city of Jerusalem. For these disciples, that hadn't happened so long ago. That was just several weeks ago. And these disciples had probably been distracted by the presence of the resurrected Christ among us. And this was the first time that they really sat down in an upper room and they were aware of the grief and the tragedy of this. I'm sure there were those who were deeply sad that Judas was, was gone. There were those who were still really angry with Judas at his, betray, as, at his betrayal of Jesus. And there were those who were just in deep grief. That their friend had died, had taken his life. It's Peter who ultimately stands up and speaks to this. The only one, interestingly, who came close to Judas's tragic end, the one who knew what it was like to deny and sell out Jesus. My guess is that you have complex emotions in the midst of your waiting as well. Maybe you feel anger, or you feel grief, or anxiety, or deep sadness where the tears just keep coming. I think this passage models for us what faithful waiting is, that it does not gloss over our emotions. It doesn't Photoshop the empty seat at the end of the table away from the scene. It doesn't pretend that faith in Jesus just automatically supersedes the realities of what we experience and what we feel. 
But I also think that this is the beginning of a healing journey for these disciples. I think that God is using this season of waiting for them to bring about their healing. So I want to encourage you to use this season of waiting to own your own story in the most raw and graphic way that you can. Luke certainly does that in Acts chapter 1. Tell the truth of your season of waiting. Weep as needed. Begin the process of healing. Note too that this process of healing begins in community, not alone, not individually. A great reminder for all of us. Fourth and final faithful practice from Acts chapter 1. While you wait, move forward trusting in God's provision. Peter prayerfully uses these two psalms to communicate the need that even in the midst of their waiting, they need to take some action. They need to move forward in some ways. They are not idly waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit. They don't know exactly when it's going to show up. So they're not just waiting. They're, going to tr- they're not going to try and manufacture the end of this period of waiting for them. They are not simply praying in expectations through the psalms because they have to. They are also moving forward in the ways that they can in this season. They're moving forward in the ways that they can. Starting in verse 21, it says, Peter says, So one of the men who's accompanied us during all the time that our Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two of them, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart, so show us which one of these two you've chosen to take this place in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas has turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. So they fill the seat that's been vacated by Judas's death with Matthias, um, a follower of Jesus who met the qualifications here, which were he had been with Jesus from the beginning, from the baptism all the way to the ascension, and most importantly, had experienced the risen Christ. So they brought forth a, a two-man slate uh, for this, for this uh, decision. Uh, they drew lots, and the lots went to Matthias. Drawing lots sim- was, was a process of simply writing, um, taking two stones and writing a name on each stone and putting them in a pot or a jar and shaking it up until one of them fell out. Uh, and then they would say, this is, this is the person that we should select. Um, that was a common process for decision-making throughout the Bible, actually, trusting that God was just going to bring the right person through a stone to fall out of that pot. Um, interestingly enough, this is the last time in scripture when there's any sort of mention of casting lots. Um, and most scholars agree that, that after Pentecost, after the gift of the Holy Spirit, they didn't need to, draw, they didn't need to cast lots anymore because the Holy Spirit was guiding and leading them in their decisions. They didn't need rocks for that. Um, I think what I love about Matthias is this, is this is not a hugely consequential action as far as we know, uh, at least in the story of the early church. Um, Matthias is never mentioned again in scripture. Um, the Eastern Orthodox Church does venerate a Saint Matthias uh, who brought the gospel to uh, gospel of Jesus to an area called Etopia, which, was, which is in the modern country of uh, Georgia along the Caspian Sea. But record of this Matthias is very, very scarce. Um, But I think Matthias actually represents something both significant and mundane uh, for us. He's a symbol of moving forward in the ways that you can while you wait. Moving forward in the ways that you can while you wait on the Lord. In whatever it is that you're waiting on, there are steps that you can take. And those steps, though perhaps not hugely significant, 
are nonetheless ways for you to be faithful, at least today. Um, when, I look at, when I think of our journey to, to get that license, every single piece of paperwork for Quinn's license felt mundane, uh, probably minimally significant in the process. I always think it's amazing that you need a lot of paperwork to prove that somebody exists when they're standing next to you. But this was what it meant for us to be faithful. We had to go through those things. They were all part of a slow-moving, faithful action in the midst of waiting. There are faithful moves as well for you in the season that you're in. Waiting on the Lord is not inaction. So what can you do today to move forward and trust in God's provision for you in this season? Maybe it's finally setting up a meeting with a pastor or therapist. Maybe it's inviting Jesus into the mundane thing that needs just to get done today. Maybe it's setting up the next meeting or engaging in the next conversation or taking on a new spiritual practice or moving forward on that thing that just needs to get done. Can you do these things, trusting that God is in the midst of them and that he's going to provide for you? So those are the four faithful actions in Acts chapter 1. They've been an encouragement to me as I've pondered several ways in which I'm waiting in my own life, and I hope that they're helpful to you as well. Um, I really love when a biblical text that seems mundane and inconsequential set, ends up speaking clearly and prophetically. So, dear friend, everyone gathered here today, in the DMV of your life, what are you waiting for? And what does your season of waiting consist of? While you're waiting, let me encourage you to follow the example of the Apostle Peter. Rehearse your values, the ones that Jesus initially modeled for his followers. Reach out to other people. Be faithful to gather. Pray the Psalms courageously and honestly sort through your emotions, begin a process of healing that God wants for you, and move forward in the ways that you can today, trusting in God's provision. As a response today, I just want to ask that question, what are you waiting for? Where is God? Where are you waiting for God in the midst of this season? Where are you waiting for him to show up? As we think about those four practices, like I said, you've already gathered. We've already prayed together. And now I, I want to actually give us an opportunity to practice what those disciples did in that room that day. I've uh, prepared a, a video with just some psalms for us. Psalms that may be encouraging or correcting for us, for wisdom. I'm going to invite us into a time of prayer as we ponder these psalms and how God may want to speak with us through them and also to ask God, what actions would you have me take? What does it mean for me to be faithful in this waiting? So I'll invite you to uh, ponder these words.
we've gathered, we've prayed, we've heard from the Psalms, we've sought God for how it is that we're to move faithfully forward on this day, let me offer one last encouragement for you. If it is true that Jesus is doing some of his very best work in our lives and in our hearts, in periods of waiting, in the in-between places in our lives, if that's true, then let me give you this encouragement. Do not chase after the end of the season that you're in. Do not chase after the end of the season that you're in. Instead, chase Jesus who is in the midst of this season with you. This is where he wants you to be to do some of the work that he needs to do in your heart and in your life. Let's pray. Lord, would you teach us what it means to wait faithfully upon you? And as we do so, Lord, may we have the confidence that you are with us in the waiting. Would you make yourself known? Would you reveal yourself as we wait? And Lord, we commit ourselves to not seek the end of this season of waiting but instead to seek you in the midst of it and to trust you for the rest. Lord, we thank you of your promise to be with us and we celebrate your presence. Amen. Let's stand as we respond in song.